HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Sam Edwards, proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network, surreyfarms.com. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
right, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Summer is here, or briefly teasing us with what is an 85-plus degree Monday, which is great. Love it. Love it. Tough way to get into the office, but a uh, beautiful way to start the week. I'm joined once again by the illustrious hair-holding champion of Brooklyn, Travis Hayden. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. It's good to be back two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. Thank you for the uh, phone call up in Montreal. Of course. I missed you too, buddy. I was uh, busy eating my face off at Joe Beef in the Coban de Sucre, which I just butchered of Apia Gashan, and I'm hurting. It's 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 a hurt. It's a it's a it's a hurt. Uh, how was your weekend? It was great. Uh, sunny. Did nothing. No work, which was nice. Laid out. Read some books. Relaxed. Home repairs. I was gonna say you look a little tan. Yeah, working on it. Working on it. Yeah, working thanks, on it. New York. Uh, well, we are very excited about today. Two heavy hitters from the food and music and media industry are joining us in studio. Uh, first off, we have Mitchell Davis, who is from the James Beard Foundation and above and beyond. Mitchell, welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. And we have the uh, man who I used to watch in my parents' basement on TV, on MTV, John Norris. Welcome to Zach Tunes as well. How are you, sir? Good, good. I realize that that statement sounded a little bit... Oh, yeah. no, it just it, makes me feel old, but it's cool. I no, no, it's, it, it's cool. We, we grew up together. You just didn't know <laughs> okay. who I was. I was growing up then, too. Yes. Um, so <laughs> we have Mitchell on, who is no stranger to Heritage Radio Network with his own show, airing every Tuesdays. Wednesdays. Wednesdays. At 11. At 11 a.m. Yeah. That's, that's an early time to get on the radio. Yeah, it's quiet around here as Roberta's wakes up, and so, do, so does everyone listening at home. <laughs> yes, it's good. Uh, and, uh, but Mitchell, beyond that, you are a cookbook author, food journalist, scholar with a doctorate in food studies. <laughs> Sorry, from your... I was, just fell asleep. No, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you're well-rounded. For those who don't know you beyond just the, uh, that you're the vice president of the James Beard Foundation. And yeah, well, food is one of those things. It's like music. It's kind of all-consuming. You, know, yes. you do it when you go to work, and you do it when you come home, so... Uh, it, yeah, it's great that you know. I think you've found food and applied it to every outreach of your life as possible. I'm just looking for tax write-offs mostly. Every time I go to the grocery store or go to a restaurant, <laughs> I, uh, I I think the best thing about oh, and today being tax day, being oh like, right, of course. Well, actually, it's tomorrow. Technically, there's some holiday today. Oh yes, yeah. There was a it's double a bank, extension. It's a bank holiday. Yeah. So uh, I was just in D.C. this morning to file them. No, to, that was just a joke. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, the fact that you can write off every meal, every grocery shopping thing like that, it's like, I'm, yeah. this is research. The problem the, the is hot I have more research. receipts than I have income. I don't know if you have this problem, <laughs> but it doesn't really always work. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, Set up. <laughs> yes. And you're like, no, look, the, the food trip was definitely part of the job. Um, but for all of those who don't know what the James Beard Foundation is, what is the elevator pitch of what is probably one of the most important organizations in the food world well it's funny because if you had asked me a couple of years ago i've, I've been there 19 years now but um a couple of years ago we were quite different and we've branched out in, in many different ways so the foundation our mission is technically to celebrate nurture and preserve america's diverse culinary heritage and future mm -hmm. and i have to memorize that yes and i say yes. it regularly but um we so we we do some of the things that people know us for. We have we are based in James Beard's house in Greenwich Village, and we invite chefs from all over the world, some two hundred and thirty or 
so nights a year there's a different chef cooking there for some amazing bacchanal probably not unlike you experienced in montreal this week but it happens every night on west 12th street just about every night Um, and we give out a large chunk of money to young aspiring culinarians for cooking schools or or grants for travel and sort of food education Um, and in fact actually um, this year's grants are closing soon so i'm going to make a pitch to go to jamesbeard.org if you are interested in going to culinary school and need some help to to study food um, at jamesbeard.org there are all the sorts of things we've given out almost four million dollars since we started in 1991 and does that come from things like dinner sales, ticket sales? Yeah, we raise shows? money for it. Some of them are tuition waivers we negotiate with schools and stuff like that. But, um, but basically, chefs around the country and around the world help us raise money to do that. Um, and then we do the Beard Awards, which you talked about, which are coming up on May 7th for the big sort of red carpet gala at Lincoln Center. And there's a whole weekend of festivities, really. The, the James Beard Book Broadcast and Journalism Awards are the Friday before on May 4th. Uh, and now, in fact, I was in D.C. this morning because we're doing a lot more work now that chefs and food have become such an important part of the larger cultural conversation, mm-hmm. uh, policy and food system stuff and food safety. A few years ago, we launched a national food conference that's really a year-long dialogue around the country with chefs and policymakers and urban developers and people sort of looking at all the different issues that are affecting how we eat and, and how we decide to use the resources of the planet. So that, that's the new piece that's been very exciting and also sort of fits together. It's our 25th anniversary this year, and so, so we're really excited to be heading in all different ways. That's amazing. I want to go back to what you just said about food and chess becoming part of the pop culture and where James Beard has played into that because for those who may not know James Beard is the grandfather the founder of all what could be considered modern cooking he discovered Julia Child and things like that um, yeah. and so James Beard since the man lived what? and the inception of the uh, foundation has really played a part as well in shaping the dialogue of the uh, you know food scene. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to imagine that he died twenty six, twenty seven years ago actually, um, and the foundation was founded the year after he died. It wasn't done by him; it was done by friends of his, but in his house and in his name, really, to preserve his legacy. But Beard was the first person to cook on television in nineteen forty five, which was the television was nine months old when he walked onto the set, wow. and he had his yeah. first cooking show in nineteen forty six. What did he make first time out? Oh, actually, that's most of that's lost. Um, he, <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's funny because we're constantly trying to re, uh, trying to find anything you can, but it was so expensive to produce TV. Then they, they just taped over everything. There's very little stuff. There's some transcripts, and he was he was, had a food show and a commercial, and he was he was actually cooking something for the postman who was stopping by to deliver something. I don't know. They're really hokey. You don't premise. Really, yeah. To, yeah. To this day, premise prevails. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so, but. But even, you know, right up until he died in 85, people interested in food were a little wonky. You know, they just were not the mainstream in the same way. They were the snobs or they were, you know, had traveled a little bit and, and I think sort of developed an interest. But, but it wasn't as pervasive. You didn't turn on the TV. You don't have to turn on the food television. You can turn on Bravo. You can turn on The Tonight Show. You can turn on anything. And there's a chef and there's a, a farmer and there's whatever going on. Of and so, so that explosion, I think, happened since in our time. And we used to say that our mission was to shine a spotlight on the chefs and 
who, who produced the food that we enjoyed so much, but the spotlights got much bigger with 24-hour food television and all these other things. You know, there's four articles about the Beard Awards in People magazine in the, in the coming weeks. That, that is unheard of. In that, people? Yeah, in people. Wow. Which, I mean, we love that and we sit around the table with our publicists and think, wow, that's, that's amazing. And we, they leave and we're like, holy crap, how did that happen, you know? No. So, so it's a moment. And, and part of that, I mean, the reason we started to do the food conference thing was because we realized that now that chefs had this in, uh, incredible media attention, maybe they could do something more than really just talk about dinner, but talk about all of these issues that other people are, are talking about. And it's no, it's no surprise that people like Marcus Samuelson and Dan Barber, who are great chefs and, and people with great vision, have been invited to speak at Davos, have been you know, it, it, are brought back and forth to Washington, to the White House, all sorts of stuff. It's, there's some really big stuff going on. And so, so we just want to help them. In fact, we're, we're talking about creating a, a sort of boot camp to help them um, be better advocates for the, the issues that concern them now that they have this attention, this spotlight. Do you feel that the, uh, there's a little weight resting on your shoulders to help promote food advocacy and things like that? Uh, hugely. Um, and it's, it's, it, I think the whole foundation has been so, has been the beneficiary of so much goodwill towards chefs and sort of created this model of using chefs to help raise money and raise awareness and all that stuff. And at first it was for us, which was to support them. Uh, but now that, uh, now they've gotten so big and so much support and everyone wants their attention, we're really proud to be able to help them help their own causes and advance themselves. Uh, and, and I, I mean, chefs of the most, fancy restaurants and the the biggest names but also the people cooking you know at restaurants in brooklyn for instance who who are, are just there because they love food and they're passionate about what they're doing i mean we really are, are trying to give tools and exposure to everyone who makes food for us can i ask who you're excited about who you want to see gets more exposure well, that's a tough question. I mean, I, it, part of this conference, I, I've had the good fortune of traveling around the country holding meetings in various food cities. We've been in Louisville and Portland, not just food cities, all cities are food cities, but I just got back from Charleston. And right. to me, what's amazing, and it's funny because I didn't know James Beard, although I feel after 19 years there that I might be James Beard. I'm not sure sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, and I... Uh, it's just um, like we sit in amazing restaurants with amazingly passionate people talking about the most the things that just seem seemed impossible 25 years ago to be talking about in America. You know, even 20 years ago, 15 years ago, food was in France and food happened in Japan and Asia. It didn't happen here the way it's happening here now. And I mean, sitting in in, in Roberta's here in Brooklyn oh, is right. kind of like a, an epicenter of of the very thing that's happening in cities across the country. You know, I, I can't help but think James Beard, who really did lay a foundation for this, is just very, very happy and proud. What is the one thing that you were surprised, even from five 10 years ago that goes beyond just, you know, more organic, local things like that. It's uh, really the quality of the cooking. I, I'm a huge... Uh I, I believe there is a craft to cooking, and of I course. don't think it's just shopping. I mean, I know there are, you know, if you just buy a good thing and you put it on the plate, it's delicious. And I know that's true. That's called that's what we do at home. We we shop and we eat well. But I, I'm a real advocate of the craft of cooking. And and when you go to a restaurant and you just see, right now every chef, when I'm impressed by something, is 27 years old and they're just cooking their hearts out. And to me, that's amazing. And I'm thinking of places like in San Francisco at Commonwealth or at a place called Victory 44 in Minneapolis that. It was a bar with a chalk menu and it literally said on it uh, mozzarella cheese sticks and we expected to get mozzarella cheese sticks and we got this incredible salad with four different preparations of zucchini and mozzarellas of different kinds and and we it was eight dollars in a bar in suburban minneapolis i mean crazy right it doesn't that doesn't happen in france anymore like in france you have to look for food now because you know the world has changed so much and the european union has has sort of shaken things up a little bit um and the 
the energy and the passion sort of in the hinterlands. I mean, if that I don't mean that pejoratively. I just right. mean in, not here right. in Brooklyn or New York. It's really exciting. And do you think this is having an influence in the household as well, which is producing a younger uh, generation that's more interested in yeah, cooking? I think so. I'm the I'm the food guy who goes on record and, and doesn't hate the Food Network and the Cooking Channel because I actually think that any media excitement gets people excited about food for that very reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's not a popular, among the people I hang out with, it's not a popular opinion, but I, I really think that just anyone talking, the fact that there's this radio station and we're talking about food and people are listening to it in their iPods, you know, driving to work, I think, it's, I think it definitely creates an environment that only leads to better, more passionate Absolutely, people. and technology as well. Huge. You know. Well, huge, yeah. actually. There's... Yeah. yeah, the social media thing actually, I think, changed um, cooking and chefs much more than even computers and email because you don't ha- restaurants didn't have computers. No, you could never. We could never at the Beer Foundation in my time. You could never get a chef unless you called because the, he or she would never be in front of a computer dealing with email. But now that they've got their phone in their pocket and they're tweeting and they're yeah. emailing from the line, you, I mean, it's much. You have much closer touch. You, you know, you can tweet. If you tweet Mario Batali, he tweets you back. You know, all, all, I think sometimes he tweets all 350,000 followers he's got back because that's what you see in your inbox. So It's amazing. Right? And especially to have that sort of access that didn't really exist before and to, and to take away some of that mystery. Yeah. Of just like what really happens, you know, behind the line, behind those closed doors and things like that. And Huge. Yeah, or it, even live feeds. Like, doesn't per se in French Laundry have live have feeds cameras, or they're yeah. connected yeah. together? Well, and the, right, the Shake Shack, the burger line. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's cool. I mean, it's. To me, there's a real similarity between chefs and music, and probably not a coincidence that you have a show about music and, and food. But we've been saying that for years. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the same thing now, where you know, for years, for music, you could love music, pick up guitar, fiddle around, something like that. You could make a band, make music, um, and that mystery was broken down maybe 60 years ago. And now with food, it's just you know. And again, as someone who works for the Food Network mm-hmm. and Cooking Channel time to time. I love it as well because at the end of the day, it's like, this is what's going on in food culture. You two can get in the kitchen, make a pie. Who cares if it comes out perfect? It doesn't matter. Just like, it keeps the dialogue going. It shows people that like, there isn't this great mystery to food. If you have access to decent products and just willing to make a mistake here. Totally. That's a really good point. Uh, To me, there's, there's a really important ambient food culture that needs to be there because let's face it, not everyone's going to be a foodie who, and nor should they be, you know, the same way that I don't really care anything about football, but I know when the Super Bowl is on and, and I know that that's a cultural, uh, a piece of cultural literacy that I, that everyone's aware of. I think good food ought to be that the, the only choices ought to be good, not just to have to seek it out and, and that kind of thing, the same way you can turn on the TV and flip across a baseball game or whatever. So, so I, I think, I think that's I think that's the advent of all of all of the stuff going on right now. I love it. And to tie all this together, I'm playing one of my favorite songs that has a food name. It's uh <laughs> Is that the category songs that have food names? It's it's it's, it's for a thousand. For a thousand, for a thousand. It's uh it's Oyster by Jawbreaker, who used to use the uh, Morton Salt girl as their logo, which, so it all ties together. But we're going to come back and we're going to focus on the uh the amazing awards coming up in the weekend and talk about how it is the Oscars of the food world. We'll sing Snacky Tunes with Mitchell Davis, John Norris, John Norris, Travis Hayden.
We are joined by the wonderful Mitchell Davis, who is the VP of the James Beard Foundation, among a whole biography, which is very exciting, and I think it's up online, and you should check it out. Because <laughs> my biography, it's is, not that exciting, but it's it's. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a life in food, and it's very it's very it's very humbling, let's say. But Thank let's you. get to the awards happening first weekend in May. Yep. And it's uh, now. I was very lucky last year to attend for the first time ever, and I was blown away. It is. It's fun. It is so much fun yeah. to. Um, Anyone can go. By the way, it's yes. kind of yeah. They are. I mean, it's not cheap. I think tickets are maybe four hundred and fifty bucks. But but you get to see. Hey, there are forty chefs cooking incredible food. You get to see the the whole show, and everyone who's anyone really is there. To, and you get to walk the yeah. red carpet at, yeah. at Avery Fisher Hall, which is yeah, just that's fun. If you've too. never gone to walk the red carpet there, it's it put on like the New York Must Die checklist or <laughs> so festive festivities start off on the fourth. Yeah, they start off on Friday, Friday. Uh, and that's the. It's funny that used to be this little dinner party for journalists, for food journalists, and we kept them separate to try to maintain the the church and state thing between you know sponsors and and journalists, and and we still keep that separate. But that event has grown so big because we now do awards for uh, electronic and media, uh, broadcast media, and also for all the books, uh, cookbooks, and food books that come out in the year or that night. So we give out more awards on Friday night than we actually do at Lincoln Center on Monday. And that's a dinner. That's a that's a sit down, um, great event. That one is not open to the public. It's just for industry. But Monday night is the big gala, walk around reception, black tie, red carpet, Lincoln Center, blah blah blah. Yeah, I have my suit pack picked out. Your, your suit? Do you do? <laughs> yeah, do you do I wear a black. Yeah, I, I'm working kind of, so I'm yeah. somewhere between a waiter and a, and a vice president at that night. <laughs> oh, you're more than yeah. that. You're more than that. So that's you're, the fourth, and then uh, and then the rest of the. There's nothing on the. Is there anything during the Friday? Well, the Saturday. So Sunday? the reality is, is the entire world of food from the country descends on New York for that right. day. So you you can't swing a cat in any restaurant and not hit a. Food Network star or someone, some great chef from somewhere, and then all of their fans because everyone who's nominated, I think there might be a hundred people in various categories nominated for things, so a lot of their their friends and fans and family come. So it's really a great time to be in New York City, and other people plan things because they know everyone's in town. So it's it's, it's, it's one of those things where you just get very jealous by reading Chef's Twitter feed and you see that they're all <laughs> hanging out and you're like, oh, they're at this after party and things like that. Yeah. What is your weekend like during that weekend? Because I know that you have the you have the event, but then you have the awards on Monday, but I'm sure you're running around like crazy. Yeah, we're running around a, a bit. I mean, we have a lot of things again because so many people are here. So we have big committee meetings. We have we actually have a new book out, um, which is called "The Best of the Best." It's for our 25th anniversary, and it's recipes and profiles and beautiful photographs, all original of the top the top award winners. It's called the Outstanding Chef Award, and we've had 22 of them. And there, it's a book of them. And so we're going to throw a, a book party for that. Um, we have lots of big, but we have another party with 2,000 people coming. Um, it, it's a busy weekend. Oh, right. Chef's, weekend. Chef's Night Out. Chef's Night Out. Which yeah. I have to say, I love. Yeah. So that's that's the fun one. That's the one we get. That's, that's everyone sort of comes and grabs a beer and, and isn't dressed up the night before the awards and has a good time. That's a it's great good. party. It's, it's business casual. Yeah. So let's <laughs> depends talk, on the business. It yeah. depends on the business. <laughs> and then some get, people get real casual. Um, so let's talk about the... Uh, I mean, there's a ton of categories that we can't get into, but... Um, 
What, what are the big? What are the big? Uh, well, the fun one this year. One, yeah, yeah. Th- this year the new one is the outstanding bar program, which is, you know, if, if you read the New York Times, they think that we're a little late in coming to. Except that, as I said, it, we're a national organization, and the award is a national award, and so it can't just be a couple of underground bars in in off neighborhoods of big cities. We're looking for a trend to really take hold, and and we're re- very excited about. The, the nominees this year, there are probably no surprises, but places like our own Jimmy and the PDT is there and the Aviary and Violet Hour from Chicago and um, Pegu Club from New York. And, mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's a great list. And we're, we're, we're psyched to add that element to the awards. It's, it's, it's about time, I guess. Um, <laughs> Rising Star is always a good category because we... They're, you have to be under 30. They're not always executive chefs yet. Um, so sometimes chefs de cuisine or something like that are nominated. And it's where we see people we don't already know, or some of them we do. But this year, I'm looking Dave Dave Barron, Barron sorry, from Next in Chicago, Daniel Bowen from Mission Chinese Food. Obviously, he's a huge name right now. He's coming to New York, actually. But, but a young guy who deserves a lot of attention, Thomas McNaughton from Flower and Water, Christina Tozzi, our Mamafuku Milk Bar pastry goddess. Love. Love, yeah. love Tosi. No one doesn't love Christina Tosi. Yeah, I don't know anybody who's ever met Tosi and be like, you know, I don't care for her. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I was that, yeah. like, what? Her desserts are polarizing, but the person, not at all. Yes, yes. And Susan Manick from Goutros in New Orleans. So, so those are all under thirty people who, and we have a pretty good track record. Our first Rising Star nominee well, winner was Todd English back in nineteen ninety one, and he went on to do some things. He's, so. he's done some things. Yes. He's done some things. If you've ever yeah. been to a W Hotel. And then Best New Restaurants, another great category, because, because of course, unlike the Academy Awards, which were the, was actually Time Magazine called us the Oscars of the food world a long time ago, uh, not everyone has a new restaurant every year. So sometimes the, in the different regional categories, it, the names don't change as much as you, you might expect, right. like because it's not for a new work. It's not a new movie or a new play on Broadway. Yeah. But Best New Restaurant, obviously, is something new. Funny how that, that happens. And and they're, the crowd, I'm just looking, actually, so I don't miss anybody to see what the exact, who, who's nominated this year. But, but for us, that's always, that's always if, you've, if you've opened a restaurant and you're a chef, that's the one you want because that, that says you've done something right and everyone's noticed. And this year, we've got AQ in San Francisco, yeah. Fiola in Washington, D.C., one that I'm excited to see here. And I have nothing to do with this, by the I way. Mean, yes. I know who you're about to say. <laughs> yes. Issa. It should say Brooklyn, by the way. It should I, say I Brooklyn. I know you want to say New York. But Isa <laughs> it is, is still part of New York. Last I checked, it's one of the five boroughs. But Isa, <laughs> amazing to fine. I'm yeah. just I'm just saying that you have Tertulia on there, and that can get the New York credit, and then Isa can get the Brooklyn credit because Isa is like Ignacio is amazing. Yeah, it's the balls, it's amazing. And can I say, especially when you talk about people with new projects, to think that that was coming from the Freeman's guys is yeah, like yeah. it's a yeah. total just and, left turn and I'm just going to plug the Beard Foundation because as I said we as the staff has nothing to do with these awards so you can try to butter us up with pizzas and whatever it is you want we we do we are not on the committees and we don't vote we, we oversee them and make sure that the peers vote but the fact that that made it to this list made me very proud of our organization because it's a little off the beaten track it's a little out there and it's an amazing restaurant um, after that, next, probably the complete opposite, one of the most anticipated oh restaurants God. in yes. the history of the universe and the most thought after restaurants. It's Grant Ackett's second restaurant, which completely changes time, food, place, plating, uniforms, everything every three months. So it opened in Paris. It was Paris in 1906. And then I think it was Hong Kong in 2050. And then it was his childhood. And every three months, it's now a completely it's El Bulli, new I think. Yeah, El now it's El Bulli. But one particular night of El Bulli. Yeah. So that's an incredible wow. project. And, and if we can just pause right there 
and talk about, and I, as I was saying before, the pressure of eating and going to be places and things like that. Like I, that is high on the list. That is not just like, oh, I went to next, next. once. And I, I had the experience. It's like, I have to get there every three months, and I don't know if that's yeah, even right? possible. <laughs> it's not very possible. I mean, they have the unique... They, they started this unique thing that I think is going to get more popular, where they sell all the seats in advance. You pay in advance, like going to a rock concert yeah. or something. And and the, some of the seats trade for $3,000 on eBay. I mean, the reservations are not no easy to come by. But on another tangent, I think for what they're doing food-wise, they need to know that that revenue is just there. Oh, of course. Actually, or, it's, the, it's the model the Beard Foundation uses, so I think it's a great model, but, but yeah. Oh, that and by selling well, seats. Well, because yeah. you have to book the reservations and pay in advance because you have a limited number. It's a very, it's a one-time thing. It's very similar, but that's a great project. The whole next thing is kind of crazy. It's like a pop-up every three months. It's, and, and, and the way that Grant works and his team works, they put so much energy into it. And then, as you mentioned, the last be- of the best new restaurant category is Tertulia, which is Seamus uh, Mullen, a great Spanish Love restaurant. It. It's like a little piece of Spain right around the corner from the Beard House, actually. Yes, and that wood fire anything is just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, as the, as the smell of smoke coming from the Roberta's oven would, would attest. Yes. Uh, so then, I mean, then there's a lot. Yeah, everyone should go to jamesbeard.org. And I'm not just saying that no. because we have a brand new website that we're very proud of that functions in a very unusual way, but because there's so much there and we have over 100 cat- different categories of honorees. Um, the other one that people always look forward to and that are great are the America's Classics. And these, yes. these are a little different. They're not voted on in the same way. They, the regional committees select a restaurant that is an institution in the neighborhood or community that it's located in. And it has to have been opening, open, I think, for more than 20 years. And many of them, some of them have been hundred years um, and we do these great videos so if you go to jamesbeard.org you'll see the videos there and um, and this year the categories I mean we how they find these places you just want to go to every single one um, the fry bread house in Phoenix yes. uh, Nora's Fish Creek Inn which is in Wilson Wyoming St. Elmo Steakhouse in Indianapolis which actually is an interesting thing because in Indianapolis this year in well last year I guess in October a play about James Beard's life a one-man show called James Beard I Love to Eat which was the name of that first cooking show in 19 1946. It was was staged at the Indianapolis Repertory Theater, a really great play written by James Still. And actually at the Beard Awards, we're going to debut a a little piece of that. Um, It was a great one-man show about Beard. What? Is there a musical number? There is no music, no. Although Beard did come to be a singer on Broadway, a hard to believe. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, actor, singer, opera, something. Yeah. Triple threat, if you will. Yeah, and ended up in food, like many of the waiters we have we encounter yes. in our day to day lives. <laughs> um, anyway, Jones Barbecue Diner is, uh, is in Mariana, Arkansas, and then Shady Glen in Manchester, Connecticut. Uh, the America's Classics are, are really kind of what it's all about. You know, I guess Guy Fieri now has on the Food Network has his own lockup on the diners, drive-ins and dives thing. But these American classics are, are really, I mean, like his places, they're about the fabric of the communities they're in. Some of them historically have been, you know, were owned by Japanese who had been in, the family had been interned and they were given over to friends while they were um, during the Second World War. All the stories are amazing. They're, they're, it's, it's a tearjerker moment every year at the ceremony. I love it. Nothing, nothing like celebrating people who pour their lives into a dedicated place yeah. and just banged out excellent food year after year. Looks like you guys have done. <laughs> Thanks. So on that note, we'll wrap it up. Uh, what's the website? What's the Twitter feed? Jamesbeard.org and follow us at Beard Foundation. It's That's awesome. It. And I would recommend for anybody, especially the younger people, to really learn about your history of food in not just New York, but America and the world. James Beard is a good place to start. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. I will have to make sure that I come dressed correctly to... Yes. 
to the awards. And, well, correctly uh, or standing out, you know, red carpet's all about standing out. It's not exactly about correct. No, it's not. Uh, what's that guy? <laughs> Farmer Al or that? Yeah, uh, right. Or the guys with the pigs. Last year we had some pigs on the run. They those were pigs, a hit. Yeah. Those pigs were awesome. I spent, <laughs> I, I, you know, nothing like doling out whiskey right in front of two pigs the line sort of got longer and longer <laughs> exactly. uh, well thank you so much Mitchell congratulations Thanks, on everything can't wait to have you back again in a year hopefully if you'll <laughs> grace me with your presence of course is it wicked and can I lick it
All right, welcome back to uh, Snacky Tunes. The uh, obligatory cram food in our face during the music break was—it's uh, always a pleasure. It's always so delicious. It's delicious. So, John Norris, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks, man. Uh, it's good to be here. If get ready to hear your uh, the drop that you recorded earlier in the show all over this network. It's, oh, it's fantastic. Oh yeah, it was it was art. It, it, it was it was <laughs> it was more than art. Um, so, for those who don't know, uh, John. You are a uh, managing editor, partner in the rock-oriented music, music website, Noisevox. Uh, you host interviews at FaceTime. You yeah. were a face of, and still are a face of MTV News? Not unless someone dies, usually, is when they call me back these days. <laughs> but um, uh, not, not so much anymore. Now, I left at the beginning of 09, and uh, I've been doing, you know, outside writing as well as Noisevox and, and, and a number of things. So. How does it feel to be what is considered one of the seminal voices of music and music culture for the last 20 years? Uh, you know, it feels, on the one hand, good. And, I mean, I can't tell you how many bands and people that I meet who say the words. It's almost like a script. I grew up watching you. The, I, right. grew up I said it. Watching you. Five words. Uh, and it feels great. And also, like, very, I'm just a sort of live-in-the-moment kind of person. And um, so, while that's super nice... Um, you know, I mean, if people ask me one more time about what was it like to report that Kurt had died, you know, um, right? And and I mean, it's it's fine, but I'm 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 you're, you're, really I try to be focused on what's going on now. You're your own man. Possible. Yeah, you're your own man. You know. I mean, how can you rough estimate how many singer songwriter bands people you met over the years? I mean, dude, it, it, Noisevox alone, I've done. We're closing in on I think 200 interviews for FaceTime, so. I mean, I and those you know, are not short interviews. Either. No, they're we, not. We shoot about forty minutes and then we post twenty, which everybody tells me is sheer lunacy because nobody today has patience for more than two minutes of That's, conversation. You are correct. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm just going. Damn the torpedoes! I think that if we do a twenty-minute interview with Spiritualized, someone out there, those Spiritualized fans are going to want to hear what he has to say for twenty minutes. Yeah. So now that you have Noisevox and you know you're a, a partner in it. it does that free you from some restraint like that that you've had in the past? Yeah, I mean, I obviously, as over time, while I was at MTV, uh, the channel, it's no, it's no secret, moved further and further away from music being their sort of raison right. d'etre, you know, and uh, and then the music that we were covering in the last mm, five or six years was not really you know stuff that i was i was super into but it's cool it, you know it, 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 it what they did works for them and um at the, my last year there they kind of i think maybe to shut me up they threw me my own series on rhapsody cuz they had a partnership with right. rhapsody and uh it was basically all bands i loved and that kind of honestly that kind of springboarded me into these kind of interviews that I do now um, right. with FaceTime on, on, on Noisebox. And was so. that more web-based or was that on air, on MTV? Uh, some of it would air, segments of it would, right. would be on, on air, but um, no, for the most part it was all web. And um, we'd have an accompanying article, written piece that I would do that would go on the MTV site, MTV news site. And but then the majority the the, whole, the full again they were like not only were they interviews but that we did do sessions like we did Titus Andronicus and there's pr practice space in Jersey and and a, a bunch of stuff and that was I guess it was about forty minutes each episode would be about forty minutes right. total you know something like that yeah that's great uh, yeah, it's fun you know it seems like you have this and you're able to do and 
a lot more that you you wouldn't normally do in terms of coverage sure. and going in. Um, you know, do you, I mean, do you think that MTV News would have covered like Fiona Apple's new record at this point? At this point, uh, well, Fiona's big enough that, for all I know, they may be doing planning some sort of coverage. Um, you know, she is still a major label artist. She's, she's right. huge.
as to looking forward, who are the current bands that you are excited about? Uh, gosh, um, who am I excited about? I love, as I'm sure you guys know them, but maybe people listening don't. Uh, Brooklyn band called Dive, which is a, well, I guess, I guess you would have said a few months ago, a side project of Cole Smith, who plays drums in Beach Fossils. And um, they just got a cool, swirly, chimey kind of uh, uh, pop sound. Uh, uh, and... I'm really excited about their new album. It's out in June. They've got a single that just uh, came out, I think, about a, maybe a week, two weeks ago. Um, so I'm excited. I'm talking to them in a few weeks. Um, who else? I don't know. I love the lower, the new Lower Dens album, which is oh, yeah. out soon. Um, Do you still get, like, what? how previewed are you to music? Like, how soon, how early are you still getting albums before everyone else gets to hear them? Uh, it, I mean, it varies. Uh, it's it's funny that spiritualized record I heard as long ago as January, but then Jason Pierce famously, you know, micromanaging, never can sort of let it go. <laughs> had to go back and work on the record again after that. Even Didn't so, you remix it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least part of it. Right. I don't know if the whole thing, but um, so yeah, the tweaking's finally done. It's out this week, and I'm happy that it's doing well. I got best new music today, so I'm really stoked because that's a that's a really amazing album. Yeah, I'm so, sure it's going to yeah. be top of the charts, number one. Mercury Prize front runner, I would say already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, this weekend is Coachella, yes, and uh, uh, I think some of the like it's it's always funny now with festivals where they feel that it used to just be all new acts. And yeah, then no when the Pixies sort of kicked off their reunion at Coachella, what is what now, six years ago, seven years ago? Now I feel that no festival is complete without new acts and reunion acts. And yeah, yeah. Well, even Tupac made a comeback. Yeah. Oh, did yes, you hear he that? Tupac yes, virtually, virtually. I didn't see did. that. Is it as weird as it sounds? I, it's pretty strange. I, I, I couldn't really make out if it was an actor. I think it's a hologram. Yeah, an actor turned into a hologram of Tupac or not. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. You know, the the uh, I saw a release recently about the uh, upcoming Dirty Projectors album, which I'm really excited about. And yes. there, was a, there was a line in there that I thought was really true. We are, we are now a world just steeped in two things, retromania and neophilia. So we want the new, 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 whatever's new, but we also, it's we, we can't, Sort of break away from our love of, of that, which uh, particularly '90s. I mean, I mean, look at you know, as you're saying, this this the the nostalgia of Snoop and Dre on stage, joined by Tupac. I mean, it's that's what big festivals have come to. The Absolutely. headliners have to harken back to to you know. Well, because I don't think in uh, any real new 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 band. There is no incubation period. There isn't like a new band that can pull out fifty, sixty thousand people. You need to have a Snoop Dogg or a like Bruce Springsteen or a Radiohead that's been around for a while, but to give it that hip factor, you have to have the weekend or you know something like that. But even you know even their other comebacks out, you know, Refused at the drive-in things right. like that. Like those are all no yeah. pulling on people who've been fans for ten, fifteen years. And you know, and I'm as guilty of I was certainly sucked into. My boy Valentine being back a few years ago, or Pavement yep. being back oh, last yeah. year. I mean, so you know, but I. It's just I don't know. I don't know. Someone said one time that you know every minute spent listening to a record from 15 years ago is a minute not spent listening to new music. And I, part of me really, I, I sort of believe that. You know, absolutely. Um, I mean, they're just out of pressure to be like I thought. You know, I had already seen them. I'd given my life to them. I'd given my time. I'd moved on to new music. 
and they get back together and you're like, well, am I still in that same place where I love mm-hmm. them? You know, is it still 10 years ago? And it's like, it's not. But you feel that you have to go see them at some level to, you know, to support them in some weird, uh, that, you know, they supported you musically and through your tough time right. when you were that's younger. Yeah. I mean, and especially if you'd never seen them live, then that's the other Definitely. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to go see Refused in a couple of weeks. Right. And right. that's going to be, yeah. it'll be what it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of, and I'm sure you have reunion shows. I think yeah. the only one that was really good that was like the one that I missed was Sunday Day Real Estate. Everything else uh-huh. has sort of been, a, I felt like a cash grab. Right. Well, I mean, wasn't Malkmus kind of open about that yeah. last year? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, uh, it is what it is, but, you know, um, I just, I, I, I feel like, you know, let's, I, I like to live in the moment as much as possible. And that moment could be a new record by a veteran band, too. You know, absolutely. You know? I think that's my biggest problem with it is that none of them are putting out, really putting out, if it, it's, and I hate to bring it back to Fiona Apple, but she's, back and she's like and with the promise of being back and putting out a new album so many of these bands are just like well we're just going to play what we already have we're not going to write new tracks and it just seems sort of you're not really continuing the band you're just getting back together to get to get a check yeah yeah and there's a lot of people that aren't maybe yeah. spiritualized when was their last record for uh songs in a and e which was four years ago, five years ago okay. i think something like that yeah it's a fair amount yeah. of time yeah fair amount of time and plus he takes forever to work on things too so i mean it was a better part of i think three years working on this new one right so. um not to shift gears completely but uh, i i read somewhere that you are a active with PETA. i and, am yes uh how did you get involved with that have you always been a vegetarian uh i have not always been a vegetarian it was one of those gradual things i was a person who uh, I mean, 20 years ago, I was eating beef and pork, and that went away around then, about 18 years ago. Then it was chicken, and and then the last piece of sushi I had, I think, was in, I'm pretty sure it was uh, 05, early 05. So it's been a while that I've, I've been strict vegetarian, and then I try to be as vegan as possible as I eat a mozzarella-laced <laughs> pizza, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, it's just a. It, I mean, it's an animal thing for me. So it's. But I don't. You know. Believe me, mo- most of my friends do not uh, are not on board with that. So. Not on board. No. And we say mostly really. animal thing. Is it the treatment or the idea of just eating another living creature? It's the latter. I mean, uh, you know, I. I mean, the, the idea, and I understand. I get that it's. There are absolutely more responsible and humane ways to to go about it. But at the end of the day, for me, <laughs> it is what it is. You know. Um, so. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, you know, lethal injection is more humane than the electric chair too. But um, right, but uh, <laughs> but 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 the end result uh, is the same. So that's and that's me. But, yeah, you know, that's you. But I'm not. I think that's. I think the that's me is the most respectful thing you say, whether you're a carnivore, or vegetarian, or vegan. Right. It's like that's just me. Yeah, but I mean, some people really get. They get. They don't like it. I mean, they, and and also, you know, the trendiness of vegetarianism that that seemed to be around whatever eight ten years ago um i haven't i've only seen vegetarian restaurants in new york close in the last five years not I've, i don't think i've seen a new one open not i can't think of a new one. dirt candy yeah that's an amazing place actually but that, you're but, right but dirt right. candy goes beyond that that's just a, a, a i mean they go beyond what is just um vegetarian food you know yeah, yeah. they're, they're high-end dining yeah no it is it's amazing I, I used to live right right by there so um she does yeah. great work yeah she great. does great work. It's amazing. I like the steps. I like the fact that it's just steps from Momofuku, the original Momofuku. Mm. Right. It's a real. But I mean, that's that's what makes New York great. Yeah. That, that that yin and yang of just 
the most meaty, carnivorous temple to food versus the you know a, a temple to shrine of vegetables and things isn't like it, that. Is it true? I mean, I, I'm 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 not a foodie, so correct me if I'm wrong. But didn't David Chang originally have some vegetarian things on the menu, and then he got annoyed that people would come in and, and ask for things without without pork, and then he like took them off? Is that true? Is that I I don't know. I mean, I think there's always. I don't know if there's always... I think there's always at least one or two vegetarian... You know, when you get to a certain level with sh- with chef, yeah. things like that, you just start looking at different ingredients as how to highlight them. And if you want to highlight mushrooms and Brussels sprouts and things like that, then more power to you. I don't think... I think it's the people who like to root around in categories who are just like, oh, I eat meat, so everything's got to have steak, or I eat chicken, or something right. like that, or bacon. Right, right, right. That's Travis. Bacon and scallops. Every morning. Every morning. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to? What are you, what are you getting into for the rest of the year and... You know, as we as we uh, get into the uh, dog days of summer, if you will. Uh, well, I mentioned that Dirty Projectors record, which I think is out in July. I think that that's I'm all indications. I've only heard the the single, but it sounds really interesting. That they did not. I mean, Dave is not one to repeat himself anyway. But it sounds like they did something quite different. It sounds like it. If that single's any indication, maybe like their their warmest kind of sounding record yet. Um, what else? What else? I'm drawing a blank. Um, well, what about you? What are you up to? Uh, well, we've got um, the the three series on, on Noisebox. Yeah. I'm doing writing for several magazines. Under the Radar is probably the one that keeps me the busiest. Also, Interview and uh, NV Magazine, the fashion magazine, which does a fair amount of, of, uh, of music coverage. I did an Ariel Pink piece for them in January, which was great. Um, he's one of my favorites. So I'm keeping busy with all that. I've um, got, a, got a couple shows, one in particular in development that I can't really talk about because we'll see, we'll see where that goes. But um, yeah. A TV I'm show? I'm busy. Uh, yeah, that's the idea. Um, no, it is a TV show, but that's, yeah. It's awesome. And yeah, where do you... And, s- ton, and seriously music-oriented, which, you know, I, again, I think what I said, in the way I said earlier that they say 20-minute interviews are just not, you know... What, they're like, what are you, what are you thinking in this day and age? But, but music programming in general. I mean, if you go to, if you go to a lot of outlets, TV outlets, they'll say it's just. I mean, it just doesn't rate anymore. It doesn't. You know? no. It's really tough. I yeah. mean, a lot of those shows, even the format of just randomness. I mean, remember current TV Al Gore's network? Sure. Originally, they had the same idea where they were doing like video yeah. newscasts and things like yeah. that, and just people couldn't. There was no. Not that 8.30 a Thursday means anything anymore, but people couldn't really latch on to just an idea of just, like, it's going to be totally random in programming. Mm. And they've done that format before. And um, But, you know, I mean, who still, I guess Fuse still does music. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, well, it, yeah. I mean, what's that concert station that's on cable? I know what you mean. Um, Palladium. Palladium. Palladium, yeah. And they do live concerts. And I guess they do well-ish. Enough yeah. to be well, on it's, the air. It's, I mean, it's big, big, big bands, you know. It's yeah. not... Um, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to me that it, everything is, is is so narrow cast. And you know, I feel like if you there is clearly an audience who's into music and into food and into books and into politics and 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 NPR gets that, but not many other outlets get right. it. You know, um, uh, it's uh, everything else is you know. And I'm a big serious, well, primarily XMU listener, but but I also listen to the political channels and serious and. You know, it's all you do. You know, you specialize in one thing. That's the thing, and people want to like cast you as this or that. You know, this guy or that guy. And well, it's either you subscribe to that lifestyle, onto that channel, if you will, or you don't. Yeah. And that's sort of where it's getting, which is not bad. I mean, but you know, it's like I'm, for someone. I mean, you know, I listen to KXCP. You know, I just like, mm-hmm. like I just know that 
out of the ten songs that they're going to play, I'm probably going to have a general like for eight of them. Yeah. And that's sure. that's sort of what people want these days. You know, they want that. And also they just want to be able to pick and choose themselves. That's how I feel about XMU, you know. But and, and, and you know, the the mandate there though is no, is talk very very little, you right. know. You know, it's like music. I, the idea of being music people don't want to hear talk. I guess whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, talking about music. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. You know, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know. I'm, I'm I think uh, a very specific type of person loves just to talk and talk and talk and talk about music. Yeah. I mean, people talk about film a lot, and no one seems to... And that's the thing. There's a lot of double standards between music and film, it seems to me. You know, there's a... And I, speaking from my own experience, and not to, not to, not to bitch too much, but, you know, there's an idea that if you're a film writer... No one says to a film writer who's, let's say, 40, for instance, um, you should only... You shouldn't be... You should, what are you doing writing about f- films being made by 20, 25-year-old directors? No one says that. But there is an attitude... Uh, in music there is whether it's spoken or not that if you've reached a certain age what are you doing following 22 year old bands you know right 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 it's this this quaint notion quaint to me anyway that music is generational and this is our music you know well dive dude is as much my music as it is a 22 year old music fans music yeah i think people just want to own it and they're like who are you it's it's that thing it's the new versus the it's like it's like fine. It's then, move aside, Dad. Then it's like you know, then you can't listen to any band that came out more than two years ago. Yeah, apparently not. A- apparently not. It's like <laughs> you you get the the access to all the back catalog, and I'm stuck with like this 2010 line in the sand or something like that. But do you think that's more so with you know with the web and everything now, like your pitchforks, where you've kind of assumed the positions of your maximum rock and rolls and zines of the day. The, yes, but I think that to, for anyone to think that the only people reading Stereo Gum and Pitchfork are are twenty two totally. is, is wrong. Absolutely, I mean, you know. So uh, and nor are the people writing for them necessarily only you know twenty five. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's even like previously you had your Nick Kent's and exactly your your Lester Bangs who were. Significantly yeah. older than most of these bands. Well, now well, how long was John Peel were on the on the radio talking about new music? Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. till the day he died. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, John, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, man. It's been fun. It's been fun. Thank uh, you. Yeah. We've talked about a ton of bands. We have time for one more song. <laughs> Which of these? Uh, what would you like to hear? We got every band that you've mentioned has a song on your playlist. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean. Yuck was my number one album last year, and their new their new song sounds a lot like uh, Smashing Pumpkins, I mean, which is not a bad thing. No, let's, let's not do at it. all. Um, and uh, should we do it? Called, Chew? Let's do yeah, it. let's do that. All right. Well, That's thank fun. you very much, Travis. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you. you. Thanks a lot, Mitchell Davis. You're the best. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to Roberta's for the lovely pizza. To all of our wonderful sponsors here on Heritage Radio Network, uh, we have Chew by We're Yuck. Chew on some pizza. Yes, <laughs> chewing on some pizza. The Me puns, Chew puns to the end. We'll catch you next week. See you later.
This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.